listening to Church Unplugged, the podcast of Christ Community Chapel. In each episode, we look at questions and topics that are related to our faith in Jesus and to the way that it plays out in everyday life. In this episode, we're discussing race and Christianity and specifically how we as Christians should respond to the different events that have taken place over the last few weeks in our society. And I just want to say this, I know a lot of our listeners are white Christians. And what you need to hear is that this is a great opportunity for you to listen to your African-American brothers and sisters and to hear how they've been processing and how they've, what they've experienced over these last few weeks and, and much longer than that. It's a very important discussion for us to engage in. So welcome in to Church Unplugged. Welcome into Church Unplugged. I'm Jimmy Cozy, part of the leadership team here at Christ Community Chapel. I've got with me today uh, Paul Turner, who's the assistant director of Orchard NEO, which is our church planting initiative, and then Richard White, who is our local outreach coordinator. He works with our different local outreach partners throughout Northeast Ohio. And today we're we're talking about a really important and really relevant uh, subject as over the last few weeks, there's been an increasing level of, of unrest and different events that have taken place with uh, African-Americans and in interaction with law enforcement. And uh, we as Christians, and especially white Christians, who make up a lot of the listeners of this podcast need to hear uh, your voices. And so the uh, first question I kind of want to ask you guys is, as the events of the last few weeks have unfolded, whether it's the murder of Ahmaud Arbery being caught on tape and released, or the murder of George Floyd, and then the unrest that has sort of developed as a result of that, how have you been processing these things? Yeah, and I, I would even add to that, Brianna Taylor as well is uh, another incident. Um, for me, it's been one of uh, looking back on history and seeing how events in dealing with with uh, law enforcement, how that's in uh, how they deal with the African American community, and how that's all culminated into incidents like this. So for me, I'm always reflective on on the history of, in particular, the relationship between the African American community, excuse me, and uh, law enforcement. And for me, it creates attitudes of frustration. Um, you know, I always think about, I'm always frustrated in a way that, man, we really haven't come that far. We really haven't learned. Nothing really has changed when it comes to uh, how law enforcement uh, deal with the African-American community. And then also I reflect on just other societal issues, uh, systemic racism, you know, income inequality, healthcare inequality, uh, just how as African-Americans we're dealt with uh, by society, whether it's going to the hospital or, uh, you know, going into stores and shopping, grocery stores, you know, how we're viewed uh, as a people. And, and it's often, uh, in my estimation, one that's negative, you know, but kind of based on stereotypes. So that's frustrating to me. And then another uh, one that comes up for me is one of fear. Uh, because, you know, oftentimes what happens in a society is when you fear a people, uh, it conjures up uh, reactions to that fear. Because when you fear something, you, you want to protect. Uh, and I often find that, um, you know, when I come into, in particular, you know, white spaces, uh, there, there can be an uneasiness uh, because I'm thinking, how are they viewing me? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'm also viewing them. How are they? How am I viewing them in terms of, okay, what are they going to project on me? Okay, am I going to be the next Ahmaud Arbery? You know, am I, am I going to be the next uh, case of mistaken identity by law enforcement? Okay, you look like someone who committed this. Uh, and then uh, fearful how I might react, you know, because if I react the wrong way or if I run into the wrong police officer who's maybe had a bad day or, let's face it, maybe is a racist, I might not make it home to my family that day, okay? Mm-hmm. So that's a real fear, and it creates an uneasiness in me and just how I move and live in every day. I have to step out of the door every day realizing that um, I can get into an altercation uh, that could not go so well, mm-hmm. uh, uh, so to speak. And then also um, there is a sense of hopelessness and helplessness in that you tend to think that you're in it alone because, you know, I don't hear voices of white evangelicals, brothers and mm-hmm. sisters speaking mm-hmm. out on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, we we just don't. And and maybe it's due to it's being uncomfortable. Maybe it's because uh, the narratives they see in the news about African-Americans typically are negative and, and that, that it may be those acts are justified, you know, because you always hear when an incident happens with law enforcement uh, concerning African-American, it's... Um, Okay, what did they do wrong? They must have done something. Yeah, there's two sides to every story right. and so on and so forth. Yeah. E- exactly. So for me, uh, you know, those are thoughts that kind of conjure up in my mind. Yeah, I mean, I, I mostly I, I don't have much to add to that. I think for the most part I think the same thing. Um, in particular to how I process things, just the overwhelming sense of sadness. You know what I mean? I think, uh, I think you know, I have two— Two black sons. Uh, I have four black nephews, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think anytime some of this stuff happens, I think of them. I think of myself and and me being taken out of their lives, but I think of them being taken out of my life as well. And uh, and it always it's just a sense of sadness to see that. Uh, one of the crazy things about even the my Aubrey situation is uh, uh, this is just a kind of a glimpse of what it's like, kind of processing some of this stuff. For me, for those who don't know, because we're on the podcast, like I, I am a little, little heavier of a guy. Um, my wife just cooks very well. That's really what it is. So <laughs> it's pretty much. It's, it's really her fault. But uh, <laughs> I blame her. But, but um, for for like the past maybe you know three three four years or so, my wife and I now we we've lived in we lived in Cleveland. Like I'm from inner city Cleveland. Uh, I've moved to another part of inner city Cleveland, and then I moved to a, a closer neighborhood of Cleveland. And my wife would say to me like, you know between my schedule, you know, I'm like, I can't really get to a gym. And so she would say, why don't you just run around the neighborhood? And I, and it's funny because I would always tell her, like, I'm like, I, I, I jokingly, but seriously say to her, I'm like, babe, come on, black man running around somewhere with a hoodie on and a sweater on. Like, I either look like I just did something or look like I'm about to go do something. I'm like, I'm not about to get shot in my own neighborhood <laughs> or I, by, by whomever. And, and and it's funny because I'd always say that to my wife, and my wife would always kind of laugh it off, like whatever, you know, until this Amar Arbery situation happened. And, and in many ways, like she's been telling people, like I thought my husband was just being silly, but she, but and I told her I, I wasn't. 
And I think now confronting this reality that Ahmaud Arbery actually, uh, in, this, in this situation, lost his life in one of the ways that I actually feared a lot, you know? And to see it kind of play out was, was hard. It was hard. It was hard to really think about that. And I think that's part of what happens when I see these things. Like, I, I, it's so easy, so easy to replace myself with whomever I see laying on the floor on the news. It's so easy for me to see that. And, and I think that's how I, I tend to process this stuff. And it's never, it, it never feels amazing. It never feels great. And it, it, yeah, quite frankly, it does. It makes me scared for my reaction. It makes me scared for what could possibly happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm always met with just a gripping sense of sadness and just like that could have easily been me. That could have easily been my cousin. It could have easily been my brother. So, yeah, it, I'm, I'm always saddened by that. That's what happens when I, when I see most of this stuff and how I've been processing it. And, and then even to, to add to that, you know, you know, we see as African-Americans, my estimation, our world shrinking. Mm-hmm. We're boxed in. And I'll give you an example. I mentioned Breonna Taylor earlier. She got killed in her own home. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, so now forget about jogging around your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You can't even be safe in your own home. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a, a warrant can be issued, a no-knock warrant or whatever, depending on the laws of, of where you're at. Uh, and, you know, busting your house, you can be defending yourself, which her boyfriend was doing, he shoots at the officer. My understanding, he shoots him in the leg. His right, he's a gun carrier, you know, has his license, license, all of that. But then what happens? She gets shot eight times, you know, and I want to say this. She was a worker who was on the front lines, one of our front line workers mm-hmm. in the medical community. So she's gone mm-hmm. in the midst of a pandemic, okay, Uh but then they arrest him and wanted to charge him with attempted murder. Hmm. So we just see injustice just raining down like a like thunder and lightning. And, you know, like I said, that creates a post-traumatic stress situation. Um, uh, and I can see why, because of the stress of society— how that correlates to why we are dying at alarming rates from this COVID-19. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. all of that ties in, systemic racism, all of that ties in mm-hmm. together. And then, like I said, you add on that, on top of that, a sense of hopelessness because we don't see, particularly being Christians, mm-hmm. we don't hear those voices mm-hmm. from other Christians, from prominent white Christians speaking out. You know, we don't hear sermons from the pulpit speaking out on the injustices. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, we don't even get conversations even in passing Mm -hmm. uh, as to how are you really feeling, what's going on about Mm -hmm. that. Now, I've had that, and and I think, you know, CCC, we we have an amazing church, and the fact that, Jimmy, we're even doing this podcast uh, speaks to and gives a sense of some hope. One question I had as I listened to you uh, talk was just how what are your what are your conversations with your kids like when things like this happen? How do you how do you process through it with them? What kind of things do you do you tell them? What do you talk about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's uh 
honestly, for myself, I, I I've been batting that around a lot. My 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 oldest my oldest child, and my oldest son is only four, and uh, and and I have a, a daughter who's zero, a, a son who's two, and a son who's four, and and. It, I look at these situations, and honestly, that's a part of parenting that I think some parents who are not black ha- don't have to necessarily worry about. Like, at what point do I express to my son that, son, there's a possibility because of the way this world looks at you that certain things you do could be perceived a certain way, and you may not come home to mommy and daddy. I don't know when he's going to be old enough for that conversation. And even even around the people that, you know, I've, I've been in grocery stores with him and my youngest one. Everyone is like, he's so he's so cute, or you know, all my kids are so cute. But what happens when he stops being cute to them? You know what I mean? And I don't know. Did I should I've given him the conversation when he was cute? You know what I mean? So that when that switch happens, he he knows what to do. Like I just I don't know. It's a part of the parenting situation right now, and I'm I'm really I'm really kind of at a loss for because I, I think I. I I want my son to still be a kid, you know? I don't want to have to force him to face a harsh reality uh, of a world while he's only still doesn't, still can't even think concretely about the things that he's hearing, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think uh, even even yesterday, like this happened to me the other day, so every day when my, when, when my son wakes up and we do, we, uh, my, my oldest sons, both of them, when we do, we do catechism and I give him breakfast and everything. And he likes to, uh, he likes to eat fruit snacks after his, uh, after his, after he has breakfast. So what I've been making him do because he'll be starting school is write his name five times every time. And I've been having him do that, you know, pretty much since COVID has happened, since I've been able to at least be home in the morning time. And, uh, and just the other day, as all of this kind of unrest has been happening, and, and my son, he starts writing his name, and he's like, I don't want to. I give up. And he's like, and and, and there was this space for me with all of this stuff happening. It's like, so you don't, you don't have the ability to say that. You know what I mean? Like, the way you are going to be looked at, it's like you're lazy because you're— you're black because you're because you're young because you're black. You're gonna be looked at like you're a different type of. You don't have the ability to just cop out. And I'm and I'm thinking about he's only four trying to write his name, and and I'm even as a parent I'm thinking, man, was that too harsh? Like did I did I have? To, I, I don't know. And I'm and I'm still trying to sort through that to be wise about that because I don't want to pull innocence from him at too young of an age, but I also don't want to miscalculate when that time is. The price would be too high. So. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, you, you, uh, and I have children as well, and I have an older son uh, in his late 20s, 29 to be exact, and he has two twin boys. Uh, and um, we've been talking about this more, uh, being black in America, if you will, uh, and how to move in different spaces. And, you know, when we have conversations amongst ourselves being African-Americans, every one of us can share an incident that we've had in dealing with, with, with law enforcement. And so, which means we need to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. And with my oldest son, who was a junior, um, I, d- I didn't have that conversation with him. He relayed to me an incident that happened to him that I didn't even know about where, you know, he was of age, he was driving, and he's going down his street, and he said the police were, were behind, was behind him. Um, and, you know, 
the police go around him. He he gets to his house. He stops and he kind of likes to kind of whip around, as we say, kind of turn to the left and then back in his driveway. Well, he did it rather quickly. The police then turn around, get out of the car, and pull out a gun mm-hmm. and approach him. And he's standing there like, and then luckily his mom came out and said, wait a minute, he lives here, he lives here. And you know, the officer's justification was like, well, we, we get word of a lot of break-ins in the community. And so, therefore, that's why, you know, I reacted yeah. the way I did. Well, I could have been going to my son's funeral, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we, we have to have those conversations at a younger age. Cause it, and it's hard to to do that. You know, for me, you don't even know where to start. Uh, you know, you, I always kind of do it undercover, say, okay, you got to be careful out here. You got to watch out here. You know, you always got to be conscious. You know, when you're going to the store, you know, you don't want to go in as groups. Uh, you always want to not be too loud. You don't want to draw attention to yourself. So I kind of use language like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, Jimmy, I'm realizing that it's going to have to be more direct. Um, that listen, you you can die out here. Uh, you can get taken from mistaken identity. It could be a number of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to be careful. You can't move in society like your white counterparts. I'm not saying that's fair, but that's the way it is. And if you mm-hmm. want to live, if you want to survive, if you don't want to be a statistic of the criminal justice system, uh, whether that be through death or through incarceration, you're going to have to be conscious of these things, of how you live, how you move, how you go into a store. Go into a store, get what you need to get, and come out. There's no br- For us, going into stores, African-Americans, there's no browsing for us, really. Mm-hmm. We're browsing. We're looking at expensive watches or things like that. That could be a problem. Mm-hmm. And I've had that happen to me on several occasions mm-hmm. where I was accused of stealing when I was just, you know, browsing. I'm a browser. I like to browse. I like to look. I like to window shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I realized that for me as, as African-American, as a black person, that's a problem in this society. So you mentioned uh, sort of wanting more from prominent white evangelicals and uh, a lot of the listeners of this podcast are, are likely white Christians. And so the question I want to ask is, what do you want them and us, because I'm one of them, a white Christian, what do you want us to hear? What do we need to hear? Uh, so I, I have a couple of things, but I think one of the, uh, one of the first things I would say is um, you need to be reaching out to the black people, not just Christians, but black people that you know. You got you got to check on us. Like we're we're not okay right now. We're not okay, and sometimes, yeah, I'm not a big I'm not a big guy to say that I think uh, social media is the best place for you know these conversations to be had to make statements. I'm not one of those guys that'll say that, but I will say, I am a, a huge believer in relationships and, and checking on people and making sure they're okay. And I say that's one of the things I want some of my white brothers and sisters to hear. You need to be checking on your black brothers and sisters. Like, they are not okay right now. 
And I think uh, I think of a, a situation recently, uh, a guy who, who wrote this on Facebook, and uh, and he he expressed how you know he's he's grown up in all white schools, he's gone to essentially an all white church, and uh, he said he's always felt like their favorite black guy. He used a different word, but I'll just say he's always felt like their favorite black guy. <laughs> and uh, and he says this stuff is happening, and 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 nobody's reached out to him. He he said, why why can't you guys support me? Like why why can't you talk to me? Why don't you engage or reach out to me? And I think he's he's shouting some of the things that I think a lot of us are shouting, especially when we're in predominantly white spaces where we've had to jump over a lot of cultural hurdles, you know, just to be in 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 what we would see as community. And when something like this happens to black people as a collective, we don't hear anything. You're not checking to say, hey, how you doing? And if it is, sometimes it's just about talking points. You know, sometimes it's just to say, ah, yeah, I'm not sure that's really what's going on or, oh, I don't like how this happened. I think, no, you need to mourn with those who mourn. Show us, show your black brothers and sisters that you care more about them than your opinions and talking of points about what they would feel about I just think that's just that's one of the base level things that I that 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 has to be had. You have to be calling and checking. I think one of my pastors uh, recently, uh, my, my pastors have reached out to me in this in this time. I just actually before I came in here, I was on the phone with with another friend who reached out to me. Uh, one of my other pastors wrote wrote a letter and delivered it to me uh, to, to to my house. Like those things to me help me understand that in a world that I feel like I'm fighting with dignity my brothers and sisters who rally around the same Christ that I believe in are standing alongside with myself and Christ in affirming my dignity in a way that shouts louder than the world can. I think if you're not doing that as a white Christian, I think you are leaving your black brothers and sisters to face this alone. And what it ends up looking like is if you either don't care about them or you don't care about the issues. And you need to hear us say, you need to be reaching out, asking how they're doing, asking how they're processed. That, that'd be my first thing. I got many things, but Rich, you—, you. Yeah, no, and, and I'm going to call I, I had a conversation with a friend of mine, uh, Mike Howard, um, uh, who's, who's an African-American, and, and he said, saying nothing is saying something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and for us to not hear voices uh, from other cultures uh, is saying nothing. And to us, we equate that to, well, they really don't care. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there is, but there is, and, and to your point, um, Paul, uh, having people reach out. And I did have someone reach out to me, and I want to read this. Uh, um, and I met, and she's a member of CCC and has been a member for a while. Her name is Jen Reinhardt, and um, I met her when— uh, we were making the phone calls out to our members as staff to see how they were doing. And me and her must have talked for about a good hour, and we ended up landing on this issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is a, a young lady, a sister, who cares deeply about this. And this is, and she reached out to me and said, I've seen what's been going on. What can I do? And, and she wrote this, and I answered, but she wrote this. There's so many opinions on what is happening right now. As a white person, I am sickened by the behavior that I've seen. As a Christian, my heart breaks for those who clearly don't have the love they need. I'm just deep, I am just deeply saddened on so many levels, and I just can't imagine how scared, tired, and frustrated it was 
it has to be right now to be a person of color. She really hit on how I'm feeling. Now, how would she know that unless she has some relationships within the African-American community? Okay. And I'll speak a little bit to that later. But she says, my heart has just been heavy, and I don't even know a fraction of how it must feel. And she said, I went downtown to clean up yesterday with my rate group, and I will say that all I did see was love, generosity, and strangers helping strangers. It was a beautiful thing to be a part of, and I need that. Please let me know how I can help in any way. Those are voices we need to hear. Mm -hmm. She spoke to, she acknowledged a failing on 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 what she sees in her own race, right? Mm -hmm. But then she spoke to how I'm feeling, and she nailed it on the head. And I told her that, you know, you really hit how I'm feeling. Um, so uh, that's what that's what we need. That's what it looks like. And it looks mm-hmm. like on, on other, other, other levels getting involved. You know, a, a, what Lori McMillan is doing uh, in Ben Harbor in Michigan where mm-hmm. she's uh, befriending an African-American church and she's going all in to find out what she can do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's—I um, forget her name. She works in communication, but she came up to me and said— uh, asked about masks, and I told—she asked about what was going on and, and, and what can she do, and I mentioned that. The African-American community needs masks. They, they need masks within the community, some of these houses. Uh, and she got me 400 masks immediately. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. even Lori did that as well. Her mom's making masks in Phoenix and sending them. She mm-hmm. says, whatever I can do. So it's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, it's happening on small levels, but it needs to be more. It needs to expand. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are people who I've mentioned that, uh, you know, you can learn as as a white person. You can learn from another white evangelical mm-hmm. on things that you can do. Mm-hmm. I would say another thing that that my that my white brothers and sisters need to hear is that when you do happen to speak up, be careful of your of of the emphasis of the points you're trying to make. I think I've seen a lot of times white brothers and sisters, some well-meaning, and I know that don't have that that are not you know what what I would call as as ignorant as I would think. But they would say, yeah, I understand, uh, yeah, man has died and everything, but this rioting and this looting, oh, my gosh, it's just so godless. Or there's just, it's just not, even some of the Christians are just, some of the, some of the Christians that are just a part of this and just da-da-da-da. And, 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 and I'm hearing, I'm hearing that your emphasis really is that you're more disgusted probably with the looting and the rioting that is connected to the response of an unjust killing of a black man, but you seem more frustrated about that than the actual injustice to the black man that started in the very beginning. I think oftentimes that, that to me, at least, as I'm hearing that, and, and, I, and I'll say this as a mature Christian who, who is, who is a, a Christian who is a black man, as a mature Christian, even when I hear that, what it sounds like to me is that you will condone murder more than you would condone rioting and looting of inanimate objects that are insured and can probably be rebuilt. But when there's someone who's laid out in the street on TV, you're less vocal about that. And that, that's hurtful. That's really hurtful. It's just, at the end of the day, it just seems like you're emphasizing 
the wrong thing. You're essentially telling me what my life is worth or what you actually care more to hear and discuss. And I and again, I've heard this from from like I said, Bible believing white Christians who I know love Jesus and I can even say loves me, but even the emphasis of it just not stopping that a, a an unarmed black man was unjustly killed in the middle of the street. That's it. That's it. You don't have to agree with the stuff that's happened. And even to the fact of understanding that the response, this is all of the stuff you're seeing is a response to something. It's a response. It's not, le- it's not the leading thing that's causing issues. It is a response to injustice. But yet your emphasis is on the response over what created it. And that, I don't know, that speaks loud to me. That speaks loud to me. And one of the other things I want my white Christian brothers and sisters to hear is that we as black people are in no way, shape, or form saying we're against police and law enforcement. I think that's been a thing that's been heard that's not true or a thing that's kind of image that's been jammed to us is that there's a black people versus police. We are against bad police officers, And we just question the system that creates the bad officers that we see. I'm for order. I'm for good police. I have three cousins who are police officers. I want them to come home to their families and to us. I have a friend who just recently had to work the protest downtown. And he texts me this super anxious text where he said, this is one of the situations I never wanted to be in. And I'm incredibly anxious. And I'm texting his wife saying, hey, did you hear from him yet? Like, that's a very real thing just to make sure that he makes it home. Like, I am for great policing. I am for great law enforcement. But I am also against bad police officers. And so we are in no way, shape or form saying we're against police. I'm for great policing, but I am against horrible policing that seems to profile and criminalize black people in particular. So I just feel like my brothers and sisters need to hear us say this is not a black lives matter versus police lives matter thing. This is just us saying we are in a particular situation where we're mourning and sad that these things are happening to us and we just want accountability and we want justice. So I feel like that's just important for us to say to our white brothers and sisters. And and I want to add to that too, Paul, because I know I talked a lot about, you know, interactions with police and the injustice of it. You know, I want to say, uh, I want to ditto what you said as well, but also add to it and, and say, I've had some very good interactions with Absolutely. police officers, Absolutely. Uh, particularly just last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had two interactions with police officers that were just doing their job mm-hmm. and trying to keep the neighborhood safe. And they were very good interactions yep. and they were very respectful. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like you, I, I have police, police in my family. My uncle was the chief of police. And so um, it's a hard work that they do. Yeah, and, I was, and I was told this long time ago as a young person um, that, you know, Police want to know that you're going to respect the badge, mm-hmm. you know. So there's a cer- I know there's a certain level of respect that we as citizens need to have towards the police. I know sometimes that could be adversarial and it can spark things because police are human too. So um, I wanted, I just wanted to add that um, uh, this is like you said, it's not uh, an anti-police thing, mm-hmm. and I, I definitely don't want it mm-hmm. to come off that way. Yeah. But I do want to convey the frustration that. I felt, and I believe the African-American community feels when it comes to uh, dealing with our law enforcement. 
Yeah. 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 Jimmy, and you say what, what, what can be done? One, a big key is, you know, for our brothers and sisters is to get educated. Mm-hmm. Understand the history of racism in this country. Know what it means when we say systemic racism and how that affects us. You know, and, and I'll give kudos to uh, Judge Parker, Tom and Melissa Parker, who um, are uh, over there, Charlotte Garden City, they're doing uh, a study, a Be the Bridge study. Mm-hmm. You know, they decided to step into it, to get educated, and to in turn educate those, particularly within a race, that don't understand it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, that's a start. To, to get educated, read books on it, talk. You got to befriend somebody. You got to sit down with a Paul. You got to sit down, down with my, myself and say, help me to understand uh, where all of this is coming from. After reading, after educating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't put, yeah. Don't put yeah. that in our lap for us to educate. That becomes True. a tiring venture. Yeah. So I, not that we're not unwilling to, but I want to say, after you're doing your research and you're educating, there's so many books out there. Educate yourself. Don't put that on your black brothers and sisters to educate you and put the further burden of proof on them to prove racism. Please educate yourselves first and then step into that space. I'm sorry. I just right. no, well, I'm no, happy to say that. No, no, no. <laughs> so yeah, no, that. no, that, no, that's fine. You're right. And, and you speak to the we're weary. Yeah. You know, we're, we're as African-Americans, we're tired because oftentimes— when we have those conversations, it turned into we got to defend ourselves, right? You know, and it seems like you know, uh, white America Christians are defending really their way of life. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, uh, so um, yeah, you have to, and I can help you. I can direct you to some books you can read, and and I, I think study groups around this issue of race and inequality, you know, can be generated out of this where, you know, we just have to have the conversations. Mm -hmm. And out of those conversations, you have to develop genuine relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, I've I've got relationships with with whites where I can say anything to make them say anything to me. Mm -hmm. But but I know it's out of love. Mm -hmm. And I know when they're speaking to me on an issue out of ignorance, it's out of them wanting to really understand. Mm-hmm. So our whole faith as Christians is built on a relationship mm-hmm. with Jesus Christ. God exists in relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So that should be easy for us. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, as Christians, we're always behind the eight ball when it comes to relationships cross-culturally with, with other Christians. You know, it, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling um, and if we continue down this road, we're called to be salt and light. Our light will become dimmer and dimmer in society where the Christian faith the, will be insignificant. Mm-hmm. That voice will, will no longer be heard in America. Mm-hmm. People aren't going to want to hear it mm-hmm. because they're going to say, yeah, you're just as bigoted as mm-hmm. them because you don't say anything, for one. You, you, we don't see you on the front lines. At least we're on the front lines. Talk about the world now. We don't even see you guys even speaking to the space. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, hope I'm not too hard there. Kudos, Jimmy, to, like I said, I want to come back to doing this, mm-hmm. this podcast. But mm-hmm. uh, 
as I heard a, a rapper say, Journey B, it's a bitter pill. It's a bitter pill to swallow mm -hmm. these topics, but uh, mm -hmm. swallow it, you know, chase it down with love, and uh, let's come together on this thing. I say uh, one of the other things I think uh, that, that uh, along with education, along with building relationships, um, I have two other things I would add to that is uh, for my white brothers and sisters, if we're, and again, if we, we transition to action steps, one of the things that, that would be very helpful is for you to just spend some time lamenting the reality of race. I think we as Christians, unlike the world, we actually have a bit of a, a trace memory of what the world should be. Mm. And when it falls short of that, that's something that should break our hearts. I think that's what we're called. We're called to lament that. I don't know when we as Christians got into the the business of running people's emotions and, and, and life experiences through a grid before we get to the space where we say that's worth a lament or a mourn. The Bible has never called for us to do that. And so for my white brothers and sisters, I'm, I'm calling for you to lament with your black brothers and sisters. Be sad about this, the, the reality of what even what we're saying. Don't look to discredit us because you've had a different experience than us. Hear us. We are brothers that say we hold to the same Christ that you hold to, that has risen from the grave, that has redeemed his people. We hold to him. So when we say there's a problem, believe us. Believe us when we say that. Believe us. Lament with us. Mourn with those who mourn, as Romans said. Sit in the sadness of the reality of it. Even if you have a different opinion about how you think it happens, if you think it didn't happen this way or that way, you are still called to mourn with your brothers, lament the reality of what's happening. And, 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 I, and I think that that will go a long way for even your brothers who are around you to still feel loved, even in that space. And one of the other things I would say is repent. Like I think, I think we have to be honest about how in many ways— the American church has been complicit with every era of, of racism in America, whether it's theologians owning slaves to even the, the, the building or developing of the black church. The black church was created because we were kicked out of spaces to worship with our other brothers and sisters. Like these things set two different trajectories here. I think we as, as the American church need to repent. And I don't mean repent in the sense to say, well, I didn't own slaves, so, or I didn't do this, so why do I have to repent? Repent at the reality that you've also benefited from that very same system that has oppressed your brothers in faith, your brothers who will be with you in heaven. Repent of that reality and find it so if it could be true in you. I think oftentimes my white brothers and sisters make racism out to be the unpardonable sin. And it's not like your, your savior died for that sin. He died for that. He died for that. That's a gospel issue. If you think racism is the impardonable sin, you're wrong. We have a God that we can go to with our shortcomings and say, make me clean and make me new. But oftentimes I see my brothers and sisters think that it's worse to be called racist than for there to actually be racism that exists. And that's what I have to say to my brothers. No, go to your Savior. Go to him. Say, Lord, I found these things in me. Change me. Make me new. And he will do it. He will do it. But if you're not doing that to leverage that relationship for the good of your brothers and sisters, then you could imagine how your black brothers and sisters can look at you and say, I don't know if you truly love us. So that, that, that's, that's another thing. And, and on top of, 
again, everything else we said, I'll, I'll, I'll cap out right there. But that, those would be the action steps that I would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and in that, in developing relationships and having conversations, know that to our brothers and sisters, it's not going to be comfortable in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when you're sitting and listening to somebody else's perspective, particularly on issues of race, racism, uh, white privilege, which is real, uh, um, that we're going to say things that you don't want to hear, that may hurt, that you may even think don't apply to you. But you need to listen. Mm -hmm. You need to listen with an ear to understand. And that's a prayer. Lord, give me a heart of understanding that I may understand what my uh, black brothers and sisters are going through. Um, because one of the things we need to do in order to bridge this gap and come together truly and be effective as the body of Christ in America and be that salt and light, we are going to have to tear down stereotypes, mm-hmm. which is an elephant in, in a room. I know right now, uh, having talked to blacks and whites and a lot of where we're getting our, um, how we view certain people is through the media, mm-hmm. particularly our certain news outlets, mm-hmm. through our politics. Mm-hmm. That's playing a part in how we're seeing people and even how we're seeing the situation. I watch two different news networks. I won't name them. And it's stark difference on how one network is putting the protest and the images they're showing and how another network is putting it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I'm going, okay, you know, these are creating stereotypes in people's minds that if we don't get over, we'll we'll never, we'll never come together. Mm -hmm. There will always be a fear there of of African-Americans and therefore no relationship will happen because you will see them through the lens of where you're getting your images Mm -hmm. from, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, so, uh, we, we've got to tear down, you know, those stereotypes and a lot of going back to policing, a lot of that, uh, how we're policed is deals around stereotypes, how we've been seen, Mm -hmm. you know, one Mm -hmm. incident I was talking about where they arrested an African-American guy and it wasn't him. And the officer said, well, you look guilty or Mm -hmm. you, you, or if you didn't do something, you were going to do something. Mm -hmm. So it's always Mm -hmm. that, Mm -hmm. um, and our educational system has to change. I, you know, I'm going to say this. I had an incident that was at a sociology class and, and taking a sociology class in college. And um, the professor who wrote the book, talking about people in society, and he said, big black criminal type. One plus one equals two. That's how he put it. Um, and so, and he wrote the book. <laughs> I, had, I pushed back on him and said, okay, well, whites commit just as many crimes. Well, his argument to me, well, but you commit more crimes to people. So, therefore, you're worse criminals <laughs> as African Americans. Now, I'm sitting in a lecture hall of about 200 people, mm-hmm. and I look up, and those are future doctors, nurses, police officers— those who are going to be serving the community. Now, in hearing that, 
How you think they are now going to serve African-American community? Differently. Differently. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Because someone in authority, their professor, said this is a fact. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, there's a chill that came over me where I felt like I was going to be hunted in this society. And I said to myself, man, we're going to have problems. I mean, black people, I said, man, we're going to have problems in this world. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, our educational system has to change. How you educate your kids at home around these issues, mm-hmm. not saying anything about race is educating your kids and, and saying that what's going on is, well, not that it's okay, uh, but it's not significant enough to address. Mm-hmm. So education has to start at home, has to start in our schools, our, our universities, our colleges. And we can all, as Christians, we can all play a part in those spaces. You know. Well, I just want to just express appreciation to you guys for uh, being willing to do this. I know these are uh, conversations that require you to be really vulnerable. And uh, I just want you to know that's not lost on me. That's not lost on us as a church and uh, that we are with you. And I'm not, you know, saying that because we're on a podcast and, and sitting around a table, <laughs> but we, I mean that. And so I'll just thank you. And, and I look forward to seeing how, how God will continue to work. And uh, my hope is that, you know, I think, Paul, you said Jesus is in the process of continuing to make everything new. Mm-hmm. And, and I really believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's what we hope in. But mm-hmm. thanks for, for coming on today. Thank you, man. Thanks, yeah, thanks, man. thanks for having us. Appreciate the opportunity. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Church Unplugged, the podcast of Christ Community Chapel. In each episode, we're going to look at topics and questions that are related to our faith in Jesus and to the way that it plays out in everyday life. We want your feedback. We want your suggestions. If you've got ideas or questions that you'd like to hear answered on the show, you can email us at churchunplugged.com at ccchapel.com. We would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.